everybody, and welcome to this week's Train Like a Trooper podcast. We have two very special guests with us today, two of our communications officers, Lieutenant Katie White and Sergeant Renee Martinez. Thank you for joining us, ladies. Thank you for having us. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having us. Katie, I know you just celebrated 20 years yes, ma'am. with the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. Renee, tell us how long you've been in communications with us. Um, this coming May will be 12 years. 12 years. So both of you ladies have been around quite a while. Yes. So tell us, Katie, let's start with you and kind of tell us how you got into this line of work. What what brought you to the Highway Patrol? What brought you to dispatch in general? Well, what brought me to the Highway Patrol was troopers recruiting me. I started out at Tecumseh Police Department in 1998. It's more of a family business for me. Uh, my mother worked at the Bureau of Narcotics. My father was a sheriff in Lincoln County at the time. And it's the only life I've ever known. But it's been the best life. I had an extended family growing up. A lot of people don't get that. So my father's deputies, even troopers that had known me since I was a little girl, recruited me. Against my dad's wishes, of course. But <laughs> I went up to Potawatomi County in 99 and from there got recruited, came to OHP in 2000. Very cool. Renee, what, what piqued your interest in dispatch? So I actually moved here from Louisiana in 2010 and um, I was just looking for a job and went on the state's website and kind of looked through there and saw communications officer thinking it was something else, honestly. <laughs> what did you think it was? Um, honestly, I, th- I thought it was going to be more of like a, a clerical position and it's, it's totally different. Yeah, far <laughs> from that. <laughs> very, very far from clerical. Um, but it kind of hit me whenever I was doing my board interview, what exactly I was going to be doing because of the split ear tests that we do during that process. But, um, it's, it's been an absolute awesome journey ever since I started. So split ear test. What is that? So during the split ear tests, we have different recordings that will play and um, the people who are interviewing will have to pick up on certain cues within those recordings and write those down for us. And um, then those get graded as part of the interview process. It's usually multiple people talking at once and you'll be told to pick out a certain thing as far as, you know, fruits, vegetables, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And they have to pick out that one specific item throughout the course of the test. And it's about a two, three minute test. You guys really have to multitask in your job. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons they have that. I mean, you, you're you hearing multiple things simultaneously. Yes. It's got to be crazy some days. Some it's hard days, to turn off. I was about to say some days it's a little bit more active than others. Um, but yes, I will agree with Lieutenant White. It's a little hard to turn off sometimes, especially um, even when you go home, you still have that that capability that's just activated in your brain and you can pick up on all sorts of different things that are going on. Um, but it definitely comes in handy whenever you're in dispatch, you know, um, you can be talking on the phone to someone that's trying to report an incident. And at the same time, you'll hear your trooper key up on the radio and you can hear your partners in the background if they have something for you. So, um, it's, it's definitely a, a valuable asset to have. As and a learned behavior. Well, there are a lot of people that that listen and they think that, um, you know, dispatchers are communication. There's call takers and then there's uh, ones that talk to the officer, or the trooper. But for the highway patrol, it's the same person. So exactly. like when I'm in communications or I'm in comm center, I can 
watch the dispatcher be on the phone and have to move the microwave uh, microphone away from their mouth so that they can talk to the trooper and it's back and forth. It's it's yeah. the same thing. So we are not a nine one one center. Star fifty five does everything. So in a 911 center, typically, not always, but in a larger 911 center like Oklahoma City Police Department, Tulsa Police Department, they have exactly that. They have call takers to where the phone call drops in their ear as soon as they're off of another one and they've pushed it on through to go through their process. We do not have that. You have to prioritize between the radio and the telephone and make that split-second decision on which one is a higher priority. Is it that trooper on a traffic stop, on a collision, whatever call he's on, removing debris? Or is it that person that you're dealing with on the phone that is reporting an accident? Because it could be anything from minor damage to somebody's vehicle to major injury. And I know it's very vital for us in the field because we're speaking to the one that is speaking to, you know, the RP or the reporting party. So it's it's super valuable to us, you know, in the car as we know firsthand that is exactly what's happening. And we're not skipping, you know, different people involved. And so. Uh, you know, we, I, I know that I appreciate it working in the field. We know exactly what's going on. Well, a common misconception along the lines of 911 is that the highway patrol has all of this electronic mapping system. Yes, we have valuable resources to us, but as of this time, and to which point in time is maybe we become a secondary PSAP, we do not have a mapping system that as soon as you call in that tells us where you're at, either we're going to have to rely on you to tell us what you see. You're going to have to tell us where you are. Or if you have dial 911, we can use another program called Rapid SOS that allows us to put your telephone number in and hopefully, if everything transferred properly, see where you're at. But the most important thing for anybody calling in, no matter if it's a 911 center, if it's star 55, is location, location, location. Mm-hmm. We can't help you if you don't know where you're at. We notice that more and more now, too, is that people are calling in and they don't know where they're at. They, you know, very often we, we zone out when we're driving yes. or whatever. And or maybe they're from out of state. They're from out of state. They're traveling through and they, they lose track of where they're at. You'll ask them a mile marker. And so very often, you know, you'll hear a, a dispatcher ask, what do you see around you, you know, to yes. try to get get us to know where, where you're at? Is so. something as small as the difference between a cable barrier in the center median versus a barrier wall can tell us where you're at. Mm-hmm. If up in northeast Oklahoma, the Will Rogers Turnpike is a barrier wall. As soon as you cross over into Missouri, it's a cable barrier. So if they're telling us they're at mall marker one, either they're not looking at something properly or they're sitting in Missouri. Right. And that makes a complete difference to how everything gets handled. Right. So we often refer to law enforcement the thin blue line. In communications, we refer to you guys the thin gold line. Yes, ma'am. You're that you're that first line there in getting help to somebody. Tell tell us what thin gold line means to you guys. The thin gold line is just that true connection between the public and the first responders that are out on the road. Um, there's been a movement lately, and it's actually a really awesome movement to see within the communications community um, called the first first responder and it's you know we're the people who are behind the mic you know this this is what we do every day we just sit there and we take all the information in and put it out as quickly as we can and efficiently as we can um, just to make sure that people are getting the help that they need that's just that's what we live for there's several states right now uh, that have either a bill within the county, a bill within the state to show communications personnel as first responders. Because a lot of them, like you stated, I think Renee stated earlier, 
you know, she thought it was clerical coming into this job. That's what a lot of people believe. That's what a lot of people think. And yes, there is a clerical component to it, but that is not all of it by any means. No, not at all. So there is a push in many states. I don't know if it's gone um, up to Congress as of yet, but there is a push. I know California pushed it and there's been a few states approve it to where their communications personnel are listed as first responders. And there's a major skill set, you know, when I when I go in and observe of when when people call 911 or they call star 55, they are at a they are at a bad time most of the time. So they're panicking. And so there is really a skill set that dispatchers are able to calm people down enough to get information that is necessary. And that's something very valuable that not everybody can do. And we have to have different tactics to get that information because being calm and sweet isn't always what's going to catch somebody's attention. We don't like to yell at people. We don't want to yell at people. But if we have to raise our voice just briefly to get someone's attention so that they talk to us and tell us where they're at, because again, we don't know where they're at, we cannot help them regardless of what the situation is. And sometimes you have to be really patient with the callers too, because you know, like you said, they're experiencing the worst day of their life. They don't know what to do or who to call or who to depend on. And sometimes we may have to ask two or three times before we can get certain information from the callers. But it's so important to get all of the information that you can so that troopers aren't walking into a scenario where it could be threatening or dangerous for them. Um, Same with EMS and fire. You know, you want to give them as much information, as much of a heads up as what they're walking into as you can. And as much as it's vital for the person calling in, it's vital, you know, like you said, for the trooper. I, I remember the very first interaction I had with Renee working was I was on a stop in Norman and a guy was giving me a hard time and I knew he was showing pre-fight indicators. I knew I was going to have to fight him. And so I asked over the air, start me another unit. The di- We have relationships with our dispatchers and they know how we talk to each Correct. other. They know Absolutely. how we talk to each And so she could hear that and she was starting other units from municipalities and close because she knew that what I was asking for uh, was significant. That so, small little twinge in your voice that right. wasn't common. Right. right. That's amazing. And so you guys learned to pick up on that. Like yes, you, you get to know these troopers, obviously, and you can pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Yes. You can tell a difference between a trooper's elevated voice of having to yell on the radio because he has background traffic that would prevent us from hearing what he's requesting us to do to that elevated voice of something is wrong here. I'm in pursuit. I need help. Whatever it may be, it's a different elevated voice. It's like Katie said that it doesn't have to be a significant change. It can be just a slight, you can tell they're just a little bit on edge. And so, you know, in that moment, I got to get somebody to them pretty quick. And it's very close. We, we get a close relationship because we depend on them and, you know, and, and out in the field. And so our tone and everything, they, they get to know us really well and they take it personally. Uh, I've been chewed out many times by dispatchers for not giving the appropriate information Uh back because uh, looking back on it, hindsight, Katie, yes. <laughs> looking back, like looking back on it in hindsight, that lack of information, you know, she she's wondering, is he okay? Like, what is going on? Uh, the last thing was I crashed out, you know, in a pursuit. Now I'm in foot pursuit, but I never said anything. 
and we don't know until everything's done. And she's trying to figure out, do I need to get him help? Do I, what's going on? And so, uh, it is a, it is a lifeline that we, uh, you know, communications is a lifeline that troopers need. And that's a good point. You know, talking about not giving them all the correct information. You guys have to keep these troopers in line. That's got to be the toughest part of your job. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> like you said, we become very close there for a while. When Renee and I both worked in the same <laughs> office, we picked up on a little thing called family dinners. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got to eat. The guys typically have to go out and go to a restaurant to eat. Not all of them have the luxury of going home. So we created a family atmosphere to where they could come into the office just for a brief second. Obviously, that's pre-COVID and sit down, have dinner. The dispatchers would do kind of a potluck or we would order pizza or something. And everybody just sit there and get to know each other. Because in those tense moments, if you have that cooperation, that understanding, it's not going to go bad. It's you're going to be mad for a second because we're all family, you know, great big family. And family gets mad. Family has moments where they don't like each other for a minute, but you get past it, especially when they need help. So you're Katie, you're up in the northeastern part of the state. You're in the yes, Tulsa area. And Renee, you're here in the Oklahoma City area. Yes. Yeah. So tell us what like what a typical day is like for you. Renee, I know you work on some other projects also. Tell us what a typical day is like for you. So right now I'm assigned to the communications training division um, as the training coordinator. And right now, a typical day, we've got two new hires that just started in Katie's region, up in the Northeast region. Um, So there's a lot of paperwork because they go through a 12-week training process um, where they sit with different dispatchers and they just glean as much information as they can within that 12-week period to go out on their own and be a solo dispatcher. Um, So there's a lot of paperwork involved in that, and luckily I get to deal with every last piece of it. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's, I enjoy being a part of that process because we know in the end we've given this person the best opportunity for success in the position. Um, So it's really neat to be a part of that process. just some of the other projects that we're working on right now. We've just deployed a new um, CAD system, computer-aided dispatch system, um, that went statewide back in November. So we're still, as with any type of new technology, working out a little little bit of kinks every once in a while, a few bugs. Um, but being a part of that has been really great. Um, Katie alluded earlier to us becoming a secondary PSAP at some point. And uh, we are actually working through some things to actually solidify that status. So um, just a lot of different different facets to the training job. Um, every once in a while, great once in a while, I still get to go back and get in the mix of dispatch. Um, but it's it's been awesome being a part of training. Um, before I came up to Oklahoma City, I'd started out in Troop F in Ardmore. Um, so having that rural experience and then coming to Calm Center and being a part of the metro area and now being a part of training, it's just been a really neat progression and I've really enjoyed it. Talk about the training a little bit. I mean, and what all kind of they learn going through their training. You guys have to know a lot of codes. You have to, I mean, there's a lot of things they have to learn. You become bilingual yeah. in this job. <laughs> <laughs> very much so, very much so. Um, our training process is kind of broken down to where it's four different phases and the PCO or probationary communications officer is responsible for a certain percentage of that information in each phase. Um, They'll learn everything from the 10 codes and the signal codes to um, how to properly answer a telephone, 
um, all the questions that they need to ask on that, how to properly speak on the radio, um, where they can use 10 codes, they can use plain talk if they need to, and they use all of our peripheral systems, the CAD system, our ALET system, which um, helps with driver history and looking up different vehicle information, things like that. They'll learn how to use our email system, our rapid SOS system. There's just so much that they learn and then they have to throw it all together at the end of 12 weeks. Um, and it's not to say that they can't ask questions past that because we're not, <laughs> we like for people to ask questions. Um, even into my time in the comm center there, I was still asking questions just because there's so many different things that happen. No one day is the same. You get to experience something new and different every day. So, um, there's always going to be room for questions, but, um, Luckily, with this regional concept that we're moving towards, our probationary communications officers have the opportunity to work with the experienced communications officers a little more often. Um, they're not left out on their own as often, so they have that experience to draw from. Um, but, like, it's 12 weeks, um, lots of paperwork. Yes. But but every piece of it is valuable um, and they'll stay on probation through their first year and then they'll be a fully vetted dispatcher for OHP. Very cool. It's, it's very neat to watch that process unfold for them because some of them, we were just discussing it earlier, uh, some people come to us with previous experience. Some come in with no experience at all. That would have been me 10 years or 12 years ago now. They all learn at different paces. They learn different ways. You know, it's just really neat to watch, especially whenever they finally get a concept that has they've been struggling with. And it just that light bulb comes on. And it's so awesome to see that. So cool. and a lot of misconception is because the troopers have a training academy that they go through. They're housed at DPS and they're together constantly. That's not the same on our side of things. They come here on their first day. They do what we call onboarding. And they get all their credentials, their email set up, their ID badge. They get go through anywhere, just like you would for a normal job. Get your insurance, your paperwork, all of these things. And then they report to headquarters for OJT, on-the-job training. Mm -hmm. This time around, we switched it up just a wee bit and wanted to try something new, which was we took the two that we hired in Tulsa, put them in a classroom setting for one day because we had one with prior experience and one that didn't have any experience trying to even the playing field for both of them so that when they stepped into that on-the-job environment, they were pretty equal in their knowledge. One didn't have more than the other. And so far, from what we've seen so far, it's very early into it, but it did make quite a bit of difference for that one that did not have any training, and it refreshed the one that did have training because she hadn't had it, hadn't been a dispatcher in over six years. So it worked out really well. Hopefully, maybe we can continue to implement at least a where I'm at, maybe further on, if training feels like it's a good idea to continue with, but it, it definitely helps because they do. They get a lot of information thrown at them, a lot of systems. We have seven computer screens that we stare at. Mm -hmm. That doesn't count the radio screen. And so sitting there can be very overwhelming. Yeah, I was going to say, in addition, you have to, you have to, you're hearing a lot. You are also seeing a lot. Yes. yes. Right. You have seven computer screens that have your CAD screen on it. It's going to have your email on it. It's going to have your daily schedule for the troopers because in my area, we take care of 17 counties and 4.5 turnpikes. I say 4.5 because anything on the Turner Turnpike basically east of Bristow comes into the Tulsa office off of Star 55. So it's 
you know, that's a large area for three to four dispatchers on at a time to cover. It's a lot of information for somebody brand new to learn. 17 counties is a lot of geography. And yes, we require them to know it. They end up speaking a new language by the time they're done with everything because the 10 codes and signal codes we use for officer safety is a completely new language. Right. And it, I mean, it's a lot. And just the area that Katie's talking about geographically, it's not only learning the highways and the county roads and all of that information. It's also learning um, some of the local jargon for those names. Yes. You know, you've always got somebody that's at Catfish Corner you know, and you have Tom's to sit corner. there and think about it for a second. And you're like, where is Catfish Corner again? Sam's Corner. Yeah. Woody Chapel. Yeah. Yes. Oh, right. Yes. right. So what's a typical day like for you, Katie? It varies from day to day. Our shifts are from 6 to 2, 2 to 10, 10 to 6. You can walk in and absolutely nothing's going on. And typically around noon in the Tulsa area is when things really start picking up because people are getting out and they're going to lunch. So we have, you know, different rush hours in Oklahoma City. It's been a while since I've been down here, Um, but it was typically, you know, seven to nine, roughly. And then anywhere from three to seven or longer in the evening because, yeah, it starts out differently in Oklahoma City than it does in Tulsa. And Oklahoma City is very much, you know, you've got those set rush hours and it gets earlier and earlier throughout the week. So on Monday, most of your crashes are towards 9 a.m. when people are hurrying to get to work. And um, by Friday, it's in the afternoon because everybody's hurrying to get home. So those kind of flip-flop in Tulsa. We have a rush hour in the morning but not near as bad as Oklahoma City, but the unpredictability in Tulsa is even higher. Any day, we've had several pursuits here lately that nothing more the trooper was going to stop for than a toll violation or, hey, your your paper tag's missing, and the next thing you know, we have a pursuit. Yeah, let's talk about that. So when, when a trooper is involved in a pursuit, what is your role? As soon as they call pursuit, or even if they say they have a vehicle that is failing to yield, we immediately start our CAD program and a CAD call for them, which means we're hitting a certain button, we're typing in the information, and when anybody's body is heightened, their blood pressure goes up, every time that goes up, you kind of lose more control of what you would normally say. So even though some people are trained to say things in a certain way, and that adrenaline kicks in, it can sometimes go out the window. So instead of them providing us their location like they would on any normal day, the first thing we're going to hear is I've got one failing to yield. I've got one in pursuit. And they'll give us a vehicle description, but failed to tell us where they're at. Or they'll tell us where they're at and fail to give the vehicle description. Two very basic components that we have to have to know what's going on. And from that point on, it's getting everything into the CAD. We try and log everything that they're saying should it be needed later. A lot of times these pursuits end up nothing. I mean, they're just small. They're done in under 10 minutes or under two minutes. And sometimes they're lengthy. My first pursuit at OHP in 2000 was an hour and a half. Oh, wow. It went all over Oklahoma City up into Lincoln County on the Turner Turnpike back towards Oklahoma County. And it was a juvenile in a Chevy Impala with an LT1 engine, which for anybody that knows that knows they go really fast. And the helicopter couldn't keep up with them. So all we were doing was answering calls, putting in typical requests for service from anybody, uh, motorist assistance out of gas, tires flat, or their car stopped and they have absolutely no idea why, to, okay, now we're in pursuit. 
it changes every single day, every second. And that's the part that I do like is because it's ever-changing. It's not mundane. I know I'm going to have paperwork every day. We've got timesheets to do, training. Uh, I report to Sergeant Martinez here, so I read the forms that the trainers fill out. I review them, sign off on them, send them to her, and hope she doesn't kick them back to me because I missed something. Um, and then that people looking for their cars from the snow, from an arrest, that it was left on the side of the road, and they're like, well, it's not there now. What do I do? Well, we didn't impound it. Not showing the city did. You may have to report it stolen. Then all of a sudden, their hope for positive information of, oh, well, the highway patrol has it and it's going to be at a wrecker, just turns into a really sad day. Are there, do either of you have like a particular like highlight to your career or or something like a certain situation or something that really stands out in your mind? So for me, it would probably be back in 2014. I was uh, still working hard more at the time. And um, we had a situation where a young man down there um, had become very violent and had killed a few people. Um, I was working by myself one night and Ardmore Police Department called and they were like, hey, we think we've got a ping on this person. But they weren't sure exactly, like they weren't sure of the exact area that he was in. So um, for me, as an OHP dispatcher, you know, we're trained to get as many resources to the area as we can, as quickly as we can. Um, so that night was a busy night. We got all of our surrounding counties um, up to the main highway points that he would be traveling on. Um, we were working with Ardmore City, Dixon City, just anybody that we could in that area to try and bring this to as peaceful of a resolve as possible. Um, unfortunately, that young man did initiate a pursuit uh, with OHP and Ardmore City Police Department. Um, unfortunately, he was killed at the end of that pursuit. Um, but that was probably one of the most important calls that I've ever taken. Um, just because it was kind of that moment where everything came together. All of the training that we go through, everything that we do on a daily basis, it all kind of comes together to try and make that as peaceful of a situation, not only for the troopers and the first responders that are involved, but also for the citizens. You know, we don't want, we don't want any of the citizens getting hurt. It was unfortunate that that young man did lose his life, but it was just, it was a very different experience to see Intense, everything I'm come sure. together. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. When you're trying to coordinate that many resources, it gets to a point. Um, my captain at the time and my lieutenant <laughs> came in that night because they were going to try and come in and help because it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. So they thought maybe I had gotten overwhelmed and they came in and I love post-its. <laughs> I used to have little post-it flags that I would have on my desk every night. And um, I had little post-it flags on this big wall map that we have in Ardmore of all of my units and where they were at because at the time, um, we were a little behind on the technology and we didn't quite have our uh, workforce map, which showed where all of our units were. So that was the best thing that I could think of to try and keep track of where I had put all my units. So it was a good idea. Very well, good idea. And whenever you have those resources, it's great. Yes. Um, but we should also point out here is something Renee is not saying. And you've heard us say we're going to a regionalized center. 
at that time, Renee was the only operator on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. One person dealing with all of that. It's, it's, it gets difficult, but at some point you just have to, you have to kind of click on, you have to flip on that switch of we're in this now. We've got to get it done. We've got to bring it to the best resolution possible. And that's what we did. Can you think of a situation, Katie? Oh, I'm sure you can. Um, Tell us your favorite. My favorite. <laughs> or the oh one that goodness. stands out the most. Oh, holy cow. Um, honestly, for me, it's what I get to do as a part of special duties. I, I can think of a multitude of incidents where, unfortunately, Tripper's been involved in a critical incident. And I've been the one on that side of the radio just by happenstance. And that Tripper's called me and said, I was glad it was you. Um or checking on them after, I've never been so happy to hear your voice. Things of that nature. And those will always stay with me because it makes me feel good. But, or having two pursuits going on at the very same time and being the only dispatcher on, that happened a few years ago in Vanita. But the happy parts for me are the programs like Cadet Lawman, uh, Command Post Operations, and Cavett Kids. For Command Post, it was during the 2011-2012 wildfires out in Creek County. For those that remember, there were several wildfires in Lawton area here in Oklahoma City and Creek County area that year. And being a part of the command post operations team at that time, we had some here and they deployed me to Creek County with just myself and a radio tech. And then that scaled up to being a larger event than what was going on in Oklahoma City. And we were up there for several, several days going back and forth, catching eight hours of sleep, if we could get that, and coming back because we were having to stay in Tulsa and seeing the signs from people thanking us for being there, just for the fact that they still had something left standing. Now, obviously, the fire department did that, not us, but the communications uh, command post team, when they bring in a large truck, which is a semi-truck, 53-foot trailer, it has a lot of capabilities. It's only one of five in the nation, if I remember correctly, unless something else has been acquired since my time off of it. And so that's a resource that we have a lot of states do not have. So bringing out that very large piece of equipment and operating out of the back of a semi-trailer for multiple days and leaving that and walking out and driving to the hotel to see thank you from people that just made cardboard signs or gone to the store and, and gotten something to you know, say thank you with and just hang it on their fence. It was probably one of my favorite moments on there. Uh, Cadet Lawman will always be one of my favorite programs. I've been involved since 2001 and it is a great program and why we are on it. Yes, I'm doing a little segue here. Um, our Cadet Lawman applications actually close April 1st. So yes, yes. that's a uh, program that both troopers and dispatchers get to be involved in being able to mentor students around the state that are transitioning from their junior year to their senior year is a huge thing. Yes. I mean, we, we love it. It Highway Patrol is a paramilitary organization, so we run Cadet Lawman the same very way as a paramilitary organization. My role out there is to keep people from quitting, to mentor them and convince them, yes, it is difficult right now. You don't want to do that last push-up, but you're almost there. Or I know you miss your family. But you're going to see them in a few days. Stick with us. And usually those that came to me crying in the beginning by Saturday, seven days later, they're crying because they don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect opportunity. And then, of course, the Cabot Kids program will always be near and dear to my heart. Yes. 
uh, we, we could do separate podcasts on, on both <laughs> both of those things, and we probably do need to. Um, but, you know, one comment that you said just now that stuck out to me you, um, on the, the fires that you were working, you were like, you know, that was the fire department that did that, not us. But communication is so crucial yes. to everything. It Nothing's Nothing gets accomplished without communication. And with that very large semi that we have, um, some may see it driving down the road for a training exercise or it may be deployed somewhere. It creates and bridges that gap between an area that may not have all the communication they need because somebody has come from out of town or another portion of the state or even out of state, whether it's a fire, a tornado, a flood, whatever it may be and they don't have our radio frequencies, we don't have theirs, and that truck bridges that gap and allows everybody to communicate and helps keep track of everything so no person, whether it's fire, EMS, or law enforcement, is left out there without knowledge. That's crucial, very crucial. And on the uh, patrol side, as far as you know, troopers in the field, the audio, hearing a voice that you trust is so very vital. I can remember several situations, I'm looking at, Katie and Renee, thinking of several instances where I've worked with both of them individually. And I, I remember a tornado that came through more where Renee was working and she, we had no idea where things were at or what was going on. And she took control and got on there and said, you block this area, you block this area here, you know, it's coming here. And so we can trust, we know, okay, everything is taken care of. We just, you know, let her help us. And, uh, that control and that, that, um, being able to hear, you know, audibly hear a tone that you trust really helps. And same thing with Katie. You know, we've been in multiple pursuits <laughs> together. Yes, sir. And, and I think for a while they were kind of banning us from working they, together. They, yes. <laughs> they wouldn't let it. If you were on, I, I would. I there was a few people I wasn't allowed to work with for a while because of the fear <laughs> something was going to happen. Right. But, that you know, being able to trust. And so dispatchers are very vitally important. There are parts of the state where they have, you know, they have a hard time being in communication. Yes. You know, communication with dispatchers. And uh, it creates a unique, you know, a separate problem. And so. We um, have that out in Sequoia County, various parts of the state right now. And the department, if I understand correctly, is working towards a resolve of multiple yeah. partnerships. Sequoia County in eastern Oklahoma. For my area is one of the one of the worst. They've had to bridge the gap by patching a low band frequency with the what we call an eight hundred frequency just for those guys to be able to talk to us and get radio traffic out. Yeah, it's very vital. And we talk sometimes when we have troopers on the podcast about how the the calls that they go to like affect them personally. Yes. And I know it's it's the same way for you guys, even if you're not actually there. Like I know here recently here in the city we had several dispatchers. It was a call, it was a crash. I think the car burned and the grandmother calls and says, hey, you know, my little granddaughter, her backpack was in there. Did, did you did you recover it? Did you get and, and the granddaughter was okay. she was taken to the hospital. She was going to be OK. But that backpack was burned up in the yeah. crash. And so these dispatchers, like four or five of them went, bought some stuffed animals and, and took it to the hospital. Yeah. So that that's just great. And that shows me that this, this affects you guys, too. Oh, it's not just a detached voice on the other end of that line. No. Several years ago, I had a collision down on US-59 outside of Asher where it was a very bad collision. It was a fatality collision. And somebody had stopped, picked up the cell phone off the side of the road, and it was ringing, and it said mom. It was a parent calling to check on their child. And fortunately, the Good Samaritan meant to do the right thing and let them know, not knowing how we operate as a patrol. And I had to talk that family 
down from going out to that scene because they did not need to see their child that way. I did not know specifically what their child's injuries were or what they may have looked like, but I know that is no scene any parent wants to have left in the back of their mind of how their child died. So having to talk somebody down from going somewhere can be very difficult because you understand the want, the need, the desire, because they've got to have answers. We're all the same way. Mm-hmm. When we're waiting for one of the troopers to key up and answer us, we make little comments behind the radio. I'm not going to lie. It's like, okay, come on, talk to me. Come on, come on. Me you can do it. <laughs> Work with me here, man. Um, and nine times out of 10, they key up a few seconds later and that relief is there. And then there's the times that you're not 100% sure. And unfortunately, um, kind of going off of what Katie was talking about with people being notified, maybe, I don't want to say in the wrong way, but in a way that may Maybe not most opportunely. Right. That'll have a profound effect upon them. Um, In this day and age of social media, we have a lot of families that get notified that way. And that is truly unfortunate because, you know, everybody just wants to report something or they want to let people know. And the families get on Facebook or Twitter or, you know, whatever. And that's how they see that their loved one has been involved in an incident. And so there again, we're getting calls from the family and as much as we want to as dispatchers we leave the next of kin notifications with the troopers that way if it is a serious situation the troopers can at least be there to console the family you need a person-to-person contact right yes the respect of going to someone and telling them in person anything is a great respect good or bad Mm -hmm. just hearing something over a phone without anyone there to hold your hand anybody that's lost a loved one will know if somebody's sitting next to you they don't have to hold your hand they don't have to say anything but just somebody being there can make a world of difference absolutely and there's a lot of people that have experienced a knock on the door and it breaks our hearts it breaks the troopers hearts that is not anything anybody ever wants to do but the troopers take that upon themselves and we help coordinate the efforts of finding that next of kin. Well, that's what I was going to say. Very vital to the trooper is when, when someone does perish in a crash, we we very heavily uh, rely on communications to help us find who the next of kin is. I mean, think about people traveling through through the state. Absolutely. Uh, very often you'll have driver's license that are, you know, they're not accurate at all. No. And to be able to find them and to trace who the next of kin possibly could be through uh, public records and things like that is yes. we lean on that very much we do a lot of what they would call open source intel which means just going through and googling somebody's name everybody thinks we have this you know grand database i use google <laughs> shout out to google, google thank you thank you thank you um but with that said all jokes aside a lot of people in the state of oklahoma don't know that many years ago a law was passed where you could put emergency contact information on your driver's license file So if anything, I would urge everybody when you go get your driver's license updated or if you're a kid getting your license for the first time, moms, dads, please put next of kin information on there. I put it on my mother's after my father's death. And that way, if anything were to ever happen to her, if she was out driving, they would know who to contact. So for those that don't know it, it's out there. Please utilize it. And if you have you live in an area that is not quite up to 911 standards yet. Oklahoma is still trying to get there in some areas, and you still live on a rural route. 
find a way to put an address in there or directions or something that's going to tell us how to get to you because we want to be there for you. We want to help you. And when a trooper shows up at your door, no, it's not usually a good thing. It can be, but not always. They need to be able to get to you sooner rather than later. So please, even if you put something in your car with your your loved one that says who the next of kin is, yes, cell phone technology is great. And some cell phones have the ICE in case of emergency on there if people don't know what that is. Or emergency contact, iPhone's got it, a lot of Androids have it. If you haven't filled that out, please fill that out because there's nothing more agonizing to us than trying to find somebody to go contact. There's a lot of people. I lived in Northeast Oklahoma by myself for three years. My family's all in the central area. I made sure I had something in my car. Obviously, if I was involved in a crash up there, most people would know who I was coming to work the crash. But that's not a guarantee. So, therefore, I made preemptive measures to ensure that information was available should that happen. And that's what I hope everybody else will do, too. Right. Something else that people might not understand. That, can you guys tell, tell us the difference between Star 55 and 911? So, Star 55 is specific to the highway patrol. Whenever you dial star 55, um, it doesn't matter if you're on county roads, state highways, U.S. highways, interstate, that call is going to be routed to the closest OHP headquarters. 911 will go to the primary answering point for that area. Um, And we do have things like secondary piece ups that if that primary point is just getting overloaded with calls, the extra calls, the excess calls will roll over to that next answering point so that they get answered in a timely manner. Um, again, that secondary piece up status is kind of what we're working towards um, so that we can work a little bit more cohesively with our partners here in the Oklahoma City and around the state. So, And we've had it to where up in Tulsa not very long ago, they had a very scary moment of an active shooter at Woodland Hills Mall. That's a prime example of that primary number one center becoming overloaded with calls. I mean, it, it was just inundated from people that were there that heard it, that were trying to tell law enforcement what was going on, and we greatly appreciate that. One lady actually had called her husband and told him he couldn't get through to 911, so he called Star 55 and got the highway patrol, and just because it's on a city street or in a building such as that that would be taken care of by the local police department. We didn't back down from the information because we knew Tulsa Police Department needed it. We had a witness that could provide us with viable information that was very accurate. So we took that information, contacted Tulsa Police Department on a line that we can get through on should anything go wrong, and they were able to provide it to their units on scene so we could work cohesively. What would you ladies say to somebody um, who's interested in getting into this line of work? Renee, (laughs) I will let you have that one. So anybody that's looking to get into this line of work, um, I would definitely say apply. Apply and give it the chance. Um, You're going to have days where you are completely overwhelmed and and you think that you're not going to make it. Yes, we've had several probationary communications oh, officers I was talking that about have me. cried. Uh-huh. <laughs> Even 20 years into the job. Yeah. I, I, May, some, May some of days, 2013. Some days. May tornadoes of 2013, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, you're going to have those days where you're completely overwhelmed. Um, but you're also going to have those days where you have a little bit more time. You can build the relationships with your partners, with the other communications officers, the troopers, the neighboring agencies. It's really 
a life-changing experience to see this end of the radio. Um, you know, everybody's familiar with the police and fire and EMS and kind of getting to see what they do because it's been so publicized. Um, Which we do appreciate that. It brings more. Absolutely. Um limelight i guess or, or highlights to what we do in communications dispatchers around the nation are being highlighted on shows like 911 911 lone star uh, mm-hmm. there was another one that started uh, last year on one of the main cbs abc networks where they were following dispatchers around um, in different places one was up in alaska and i was actually very enamored by that program because it was showing a very vastly different set of complications that than what we have. Yes, we just experienced a very lovely snowstorm, um, <laughs> but we don't have those that often where the state of Alaska does. And they had a gentleman that was stranded on a mountain and couldn't get down. It was snowing. It was blizzard. They couldn't get to him. So it, not to mention the cell phone up there was not performing at max capacity for multiple reasons. So it was very difficult to get help to him. So seeing those different obstacles around the nation, they had some down in Louisiana, Miss Renee's hometown, and it was during a flooding event. Again, something they experience more frequently than we do, but we get to see how they handle it. And I personally kind of took some cues from some of the operators on there. So for those of you that were on that show, can't remember what it's called, but shout out to you. You did a fabulous job. Um, but, But that's the thing. I mean, like, as a part of their, as a part of, the first response community in general, we are gaining some ground with that publicity. Um, But it's still. Nowhere where it needs to be. I was about to say it's so vastly different. The amount of coverage that we get um, that a lot of people, I did it myself. I, I wasn't sure what I was walking into. You know, you see this communications officer posting somewhere and it's like, well, what am I going to be doing there? If if you have any questions, if you look at that posting and say, maybe I can do that, give it a chance, apply for it, and then contact the local headquarters. We will be more than happy to have somebody visit with you and kind of give you an idea of what the job entails. Because that's a lot of people look at the job posting, may or may not give it a chance. If they do give it a chance, they get to the interviews and... Sometimes they get a little intimidated by things like the split ear test or just the board the officer interview, down tape, the officer down tape, um, the board interview in and of itself can be intimidating because you've yes. got four to five people asking questions of you that you're having to try and maintain eye contact and, you know, make sure that you're being clear on your answers. It can be a little intimidating. Give it a chance. Absolutely. Give it a chance. Apply for it. Um, let us reach out to you and kind of explain what you might be doing on a day-to-day basis. Again, it changes every day. We never know what we're going to walk into, but you've got to give it that chance first. And several years ago, our qualifications were amended. It used to be 21 years of age and older. Now um, it's actually 18 years of age and older. Um, We no longer have on our end, let me specify, our end being communications, a requirement for college or any type of higher education. You just have to have a high school diploma or the equivalent GED. And a lot of people think they have to have prior training. No, you don't. We will teach you how to do the job. Unfortunately, with one of the perks to go into a regional center is you will never be alone. There will always be somebody there with you to help you. It may be one other person, mm-hmm. 
but there will still always be somebody there to help you and help you get through something. So we're, we're kind of transitioning away from a solo environment um, like we used to have to having a multiple person environment to help you learn, help you train and get around that. Um, you know, you can't have any criminal background. You know, some people think that, well, it's communications. It doesn't apply. I won't be carrying a gun. But unfortunately, working for the state of Oklahoma, many state agencies, not just ours, prevent that. And, and that doesn't mean they couldn't do the job. Unfortunately, it's just something that we have to deal with because our systems we have are state and federal. And the federal regulations on many of those systems are very stringent and we can't allow it. Well, we appreciate both of you ladies being here with us. You are, I know, very much behind the scenes, but what you do is so, so vitally important. Um, And so we definitely wanted to have you guys on this podcast and let everybody know out there what you do. So we appreciate you coming in and sharing your time with us. National Telecom Week is coming up to all the dispatchers in the state of Oklahoma. From our agency to yours, thank you for what you do. You help us out on a daily basis. It doesn't matter where in the state it is. You know, you're the calm and the chaos, the people that are rarely seen. So thank you so much for what you do. We couldn't do it without you.